0: All right, so if you've been doing marketing for a while, actually, it doesn't even matter if you've been doing it for a while, for a week or a decade, you know that Google Analytics just becomes like the bane of any marketing team's existence. It's a necessary evil. Something always breaks or it's not right or you got to find a developer to help you set it up. And I looked it up because I wanted to mention it for this, but Google Analytics launched in November 2005, 16 years ago. And yet it's still the thing that most marketing teams uh, obsess over and get stuck with so much. But there's a better way. And that way is called rebi. It's a awesome new company, Aribi.io. They got customers like Sony, Pizza Hut, Audi, Panasonic, and Sky. So what they do is really cool. They automatically capture every activity on your website. So imagine someone visits your blog. Oh, nope, didn't have to set up a tag for that. It just automatically captured. Someone visit your pricing page. Somebody did something on your website. You didn't have to go and set that up in advance, which is always the thing that drives me nuts. Ah, we didn't have a goal set up for that. They'll automatically capture everything that's happening on your website and you can do it all without a developer that is the selling point for me to not have to always beg my friends on the product team to do drug deals and get this stuff over the line once you connect your site you can just start capturing everything your website visitors do and you can even ask questions like hey do people are people who read our blog are they more likely to buy than other people or people who visit my pricing page are they more likely to convert than somebody else. It's awesome and you should totally check it out. And they're hooking you up with a great little discount, 20% off any plan. But most importantly, like to me, marketing is about simplifying the decision-making process. And if you can have someone that works 24-7 like an analyst on your team for you, which is what Aribi does, it's going to give you a huge benefit. So you can go and check it out, aribi.io slash DGMG. And you can start a free trial And if you use the coupon code DGMG, you'll get 20% off any plan. I'm launching a new site, dgmg.co, in a couple weeks, and I'll be using Aribi to track everything that I do. And I think you should go and check it out. So aribi.io slash DGMG. Go and check it out, and hopefully you can say goodbye to Google Analytics. This episode is also brought to you by my friends at Lemon Pie. They're the ones who produce this show for me. They're awesome at what they do, and I can't recommend their work enough. They make it super easy for me, and I know that they can help you too if you want to launch a podcast strategy for your brand. Check them out at www.lemonpie.fm and tell them I sent you. That's www.lemonpie.fm. Tell them that I sent you. All right, let's get into this episode. Hey, I'm Dave Gerhardt, and you're listening to the B2B Marketing Leaders Podcast. This is a place where I share B2B marketing lessons and learnings every week. My guest on this episode is Tara Robertson. She's Chief Marketing Officer at Teamwork. Okay, Tara, thanks for doing this. I'm so happy to finally get to connect with you. We're both up in Vermont now, so shout out to Vermont. I saw Vermont was trending on Twitter today, and uh, I don't know why. But leave it alone. It's okay. nice. Here. We
1: should find out.
0: Yeah, we should find out. Okay. So we're, we're going to get right into the, into the thick of this. People want the CMOs. And so we're giving them the CMOs. So talk about first, what, what is your role and maybe quick background on, on how you got here?
1: Yeah, sure. So I am the CMO at Teamwork. I'm actually on week six. So just started a little over a month ago. Uh, prior to coming here, was at Sprout Social, led up our customer marketing division uh, and marketing strategy overall. So have been in SaaS for quite some time. Uh, Excited to be taking on first-time CMO at Teamwork and just diving right into the trenches.
0: Let's talk about first what Teamwork does and then how marketing fits in that puzzle and like, you know, you just took this job. So what's the vision for marketing? How do they see marketing as a channel for the business?
1: Yeah, great question. Uh, So teamwork is project management software. We are particularly strong in the agency space uh, and with SMBs, but service all segments of all kinds. Uh, been around since 2007. So our self-funded bootstrapped business have grown to about 30 million in ARR on a bootstrap budget, which has been really incredible. And we're on this next stage now of taking the rocket ship and going into how we then start to grow even further. So exploring funding, exploring substantial levels of growth. Uh, The marketing team today is lean, but they are lean machines. We're about 16 people as it stands, and we're at full inbound. So our revenue is 95 to 99% starts from our inbound funnel that comes from how we're producing and growing. And we're doing it with really kind of bare bones marketing today. So lots of opportunity to start to leaning into.
0: So this company bootstrapped to 30 million, what has been marketing like leading up to now? I mean, you're still new. So I'm assuming you haven't made huge changes yet. But like, where does that 95% of that of those inbound leads, where are they coming from?
1: Great question. It's a breakdown really of your traditional inbound. So we have a lot of paid that comes in, but it's very basic paid. When we look at search engine, we don't do a lot of social paid right now. We probably will explore that in the future. Uh, organic is huge for us. And so we do a lot from an organic side, are putting a lot of investment into our SEO as well as our blog, but definitely room for us to push even further. And an interesting channel that's been successful, relatively new for us is affiliate we're starting to see a ton of traction there. And it's new over the last six months, we relaunched it and it's becoming an emerging channel for our team.
0: Where's the affiliate coming? Like our people is it like people who are like, sharing, hey, here's like how I manage my workflow. Like is it people who are kind of sharing YouTube? Where's it coming from?
1: Links, people sharing links, especially uh, and really just kind of bringing in third party.
0: Do you get something like you get credits or something in your account?
1: Yeah. Exactly. Well, they actually, it's a paid commission. So it's less of credit in their account and more of a cut of what they bring in.
0: So is the whole, like all of the acquisition that you're doing, like paid, is that all driving? Can you go through the funnel? Like, is it all driving into this free trial? And the free trial is how long? Is that the only, is that the entry point? Like you're trying to drive everybody into?
1: Yeah. So it's mostly free trial. And I would say right now we have a huge opportunity and starting to drive more towards looking at the full funnel. So right now there's kind of a break-off between trial to MQL and freemium, but for the most part, everything's driving to trial, bringing it to MQL and then sales picks up. And so right now we're focused on moving more towards a product-led motion and starting to drive a lot more on looking at the revenue of the funnel and delineating out between The trial to the MQL to looking at the entire impact across the board, and then helping our customers self-service that doesn't exist today, but we're starting to stand it up.
0: Is that the business model of the future, or is there? Because a lot of companies today have this like product-led growth model, which is I guess top down and bottom up, which is like they have the freemium, but then they're also doing enterprise. Are, Are you are you guys doing anything like that?
1: Yeah. And it's actually a little bit of both. So I can say the now state right now has been more of just marketing to sales handoff. And we have a product led motion that really hasn't been unlocked. And so with me coming in, part of what we've started to build out is that marketing is really responsible for two funnels. And so one is just iterating on and building the efficiency between the marketing to sales handoff based on qualified opportunities and those that want to talk to sales and to customers coming in at the right rate. And then we're also introducing marketing, having a self-driven funnel that we are fully responsible for. So we'll have a revenue quota that marketing will manage from beginning to end. And that's not stood up, but it's definitely the future of how our team will operate and starting to leverage more towards that jobs yeah. to be done, methodology, making sure you build for the user.
0: It's pretty wild. So many CMOs that I've talked to, that's the business model now, which is like I don't have it in my role at privy because we're kind of exclusively focused on small but more more companies like you know like yours have this two funnel motion and it's interesting because i think the marketing team has to figure out how to service both of those funnels how do you have the high volume self-service funnel but also how do you also have a marketing team that knows how to work with the sales team do product marketing sales enablement close more enterprise is that something that's on your mind
1: Yeah, absolutely. Especially when we're in this stage right now where we're building out our org structure, looking at rapid growth, starting to think through how we stand up the way that the department is delineated because you can do it and cut it in all sorts of different ways, whether it's one Mm. team, whether it's two teams. And I've seen that happen both ways. And so part of it is talent, right? And what your level of experience is, part of it is understanding the customer journey and then starting to break out, you know, what that handoff looks like. But I'm a big believer that it's not, while it's two funnels, it's not two teams because we're still solving for the right go-to-market. And so starting to build it out from the ground up in a way that is conducive to the customer's journey and the user journey.
0: Yeah. And I think it's so hard to have it be two different teams, I think, just because like, if you have two different teams... Those are two people who have different goals, and so if you have two marketers sitting next right. to each other, you have Dave, who's the freemium marketer, and his goal is convert, you know, self service conversion, and you have Tara, who's the enterprise marketer, and her goal is booking meetings for the sales team. We have all these channels that we the business only has the business channels. There's you know, so like you have to figure out like, well, who gets the email send? You know, where does the budget go? Who's you know, wh- what ads are we running? And I think I see so much discussion like inside of the DGMG group about like just so much internal bullshit that comes up because of those like competing incentives. And so I think setting the team up for success to have one shared ownership of this, and these are just different channels, makes a lot of sense.
1: Yeah. And it's also, that's not how buyers buy, right? Right. Buyers don't come in and say, oh, I'm an SMB. I want to go through this funnel, or I'm an enterprise. I want to go through that one. And so we have to match the buyer's journey and think about the way that we're actually creating the best and most efficient Marketing machine, which is not duplicating funnels, it's building based off of where we can get smart and intelligent and build the right type of process in place.
0: Are you at a place where you can talk about like team roles and 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 like because people love the team structure stuff? But I, I obviously like if you're in the middle of making changes right now, we don't have to talk about it.
1: Yeah, no, we can talk about it high level. I think we've made a lot of progress in the areas that I'm focused on in on over the last six weeks. Is really. People process systems, right? Like making sure we build the right structure, making sure that we can start to put the org in place. Our team is obviously going through a lot of change right now, but we've foundationally opened up our top leadership positions that we're hiring for right now, have vision into what team structure will look like. And some of that is a combination of. Where do we outsource versus where do we hire in house? Cool. Uh, but okay. the actual structure gonna, itself is good.
0: I want to ask a bunch of questions about that stuff because people are super interested in this. Okay, so first, you actually laid this out perfectly, which is like I was going to ask you, you know, how what you've been coming in to do as new CMO, but you laid it out people, process, system. So let's just first talk about people. What's your vision? I'm using vision because it's still you know happening right now. How do you see the team laying out? You're the CMO. How many direct reports do you have? Who reports to you? And how are you breaking up the team? If you could go through that.
1: Yeah, sure. So I would say starting off right now, it is kind of all over the place because we're in the middle of a realignment for the team. But if I fast forward a few months from now, uh, essentially setting it up with four pillars, and so the four pillars that we'll have in place, one is acquisition and growth, which could essentially be revenue marketing. And so starting to think through all of your typical demand generation, performance marketing, lifecycle email marketing, and everything that really, truly does drive revenue across your marketing channels. That's the team that's probably most established today within our organization and doing a really great job when we talk about that 95 to 99% inbound they've just yeah. done some incredible well, stuff
0: isn't that all doesn't that also that also makes your life so much easier coming in as a new cmo because like there's so much stuff that you got to go do it's way easier to do that if like the demand gen team is humming like okay that piece is good it's i was just i was going to ask you like later it's so tough to balance like you're coming in you got to do all this new stuff but you also are already have pressure to hit the number this month and next month. And it's hard to do that.
1: Yeah, and that's where I'll say I feel incredibly lucky. It's part of what made me excited to come to teamwork is that I'm building off of a a pretty solid foundation, right? There's obviously always opportunity and lots of things for us to lean into, but the structure is there. And now it's a matter of just putting your foot on the gas and going. And so that's acquisition and growth. Lots to build up I I love that you
0: call it revenue marketing, by the way. i just think it's such a better bucket for that like i've I've found you know and i've talked to many marketing friends about this like including my own team members like at privy for example about the demand gen term just doesn't fully encompass it and it's like yeah when you put revenue over it okay that that's what it is so i love that you call it so team one is you got one team that's revenue marketing what are the other three
1: then you've got your product marketing team, clearly. It uh, can't be a SaaS business without having a solid product marketing team. And so that's an area that we need to invest in heavily. We've got one product marketer right now and she's incredible, but we definitely have a lot to work on for product strategy. And that encompasses everything as we grow out to competitive and market intelligence, really making sure that we understand what's happening in the market and really truly staying you know, on top of that day-to-day. It includes, of course, your go-to-market launch and your overall strategy. And the way that we do that is tiering. So we've got tier one, tier two, tier three launches based on the opportunity. And then we also, within our product marketing team, will be looking at adoption and our alignment to our growth org. So this is a partnership right between your acquisition and growth team and your product growth team on how we think about things like onboarding. Retention and all of that automation that comes into that customer journey on each side of the funnel. And so staying very close to that. So that's our product marketing team. Team number three, brand and communications, does not exist today. So that is one that, you know, fascinating and interesting that, you know, we've been very, very focused on demand gem, but this is where as we talk about the opportunity to scale really building out a true branded communications team that's focused on how do we drive the right awareness and perception in the market. Employer brand is a big one that we'll definitely start to lean into and think about bringing a lot of our personality to our social, bringing a lot of our personality to the business and growing out in that area. And then of course, communications and starting to think about what our take is for areas like public relations or thinking about even your internal communications and that importance as you grow and scale as a business.
0: Great. And then what's the fourth team?
1: Fourth team is the team I am really excited about is actually building a marketing revenue ops and analytics team. And so traditionally they have lived so often under an acquisition or a growth team as well, but I actually want to separate them out because we're working on building a cross-squad RevOps function within the business. And so having the team that we bring in here be it truly a partner to all of marketing, but also a partner to sales, a partner to product, a partner to finance, and building out a squad to where we're looking at one data point, one funnel, well, or two funnels and aligned around the way we're reporting on that across the entire business so that it's not specifically focused on over engineering to something like just demand gen and thinking about that entire marketing revenue operations that we need to scale.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. So revenue marketing, product marketing, brand and comms and revenue ops. So first on the on the rev ops role, is that team going to also do like cuz a lot of times this role when ops has been centralized, I've seen it before they also, there's like CS, you know, there's there's customer mm-hmm. success and there's support. Are, are they going to do that? Or is this specific to the sales and marketing org that it, yeah. like RevOps is going to focus on?
1: Great question. So ideally when you think about RevOps, it's not necessarily just sitting under marketing, like you mentioned. Right. We don't have a CRO. We're not ready for that kind of a role within our business. And so for us, it's really actually standing up a RevOps squad. And so right. what this person will be is the partner for marketing and focused more on the marketing side of the house, but then partnering with the RevOps person in sales and the RevOps person in CS and the RevOps person in finance. And that way, they're all working together to solve the main hard problems that we need to solve as a business. And then when we get to things like our QBRs or MBRs, uh, we're all speaking the same language, and we're looking at the same data that's coming to us from our counterparts that are functional leaders within our departments, but truly their team is working in that squad.
0: Have you had this role before, like in prior lives, and that's why you're bringing it?
1: I would say if we were to do it differently in prior roles, we probably would have moved to RevOps faster because that's where I think you end up actually having some of that marketing and sales friction that exists in so many different businesses Mm. where you look at what's marketing on the hook for, what's sales on the hook for.
0: You know, it's funny that I've changed my opinion a lot on It's kind of like one of those things that like now that I am responsible for leading the team as opposed to doing the work, I've changed my opinion. It's like when you're a kid, you can't you can't stand why your parents do certain things. But then like once you have kids, you're like, oh, (laughs) I know exactly why I know exactly why my mom was pissed about that. I used to be like, you can figure out marketing ops later, like go ship, ship, ship. Mm-hmm. And I still believe in speed, but like as a CMO, like I've just seen it a bunch of times where like the plumbing isn't right, attribution isn't right. And I used to think that that was just a bunch of excuses, but now I see where it's like, no, no, you can't know where to place budget, time, people, channels. You can't totally do the right plan for the board and the CEO unless you really know the inputs and outputs. And so like I have now shifted to like, that might be the probably second person that I would hire, you know, if, if I was starting over.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And that's exactly where I'm at too with this and why I've actually separated them out is like, we have to speak the same language from day one and we have to build the right data and the right way for us to look at this because as a CMO, as you mentioned, we're responsible for the business, not necessarily just our function. And the only way for our business to scale and grow is for us to be just dialed in. On things like attribution, you know, asking those hard questions together, but making sure that our teams are cross-functionally working. And for me, it's less important that this is a role in marketing. It's a role in marketing today because it needs to exist. But as long as these teams are working together, we're doing the right thing.
0: Yeah, I think it's smart. This episode of B2B Marketing Leaders is brought to you by DGMG. That's my members-only community for B2B marketers. There's over 2,300 members, and it's awesome because it's really like having a sounding board outside of your company Inside of the group, you can get feedback, recommendations on tools, campaign ideas, and more. I see people ask questions about hiring, team structure, ad targeting, copy feedback. It's incredible. And it's the reason that I'm in the group basically every day sharing stuff too. I feel like it's a group of people I want to be around to get better as a B2B marketer too. And because you're here listening to B2B marketing leaders, you can get in the group for just $1 for your first month. And then after that, it's 10 bucks a month. And it's super easy to expense. You could even do an annual. It's like a hundred bucks a year. Makes it really easy to send to your CFO. Flies under the radar. It's a hundred bucks. It's really easy. But there's ten to twelve new posts every single day, and you can go in there daily. And you can even go and see all the content from last year. I know that if you're in B two B marketing, you will go in there and you'll be like, "Huh, I get what Dave was talking about." I know you'll see the ROI from the community alone instantly, and even more so now that you can get in there for your first month for just a dollar. So there's a special link in the show notes of this show where you can go and sign up for a dollar, go and check that out. What do you as a CMO want out of that role? Cuz I a lot of marketing ops people are like, how do I shift from like marketing ops to like revenue leader? And so I'm just curious from your seat, what do you expect out of that role?
1: Oh, that's such a great question. Probably more than I should because there's so many <laughs> things to answer when it comes to data and analytics and ops. What I would expect is, I want somebody that's looking at the data and challenging it, that's looking at how we're performing and making sure that we're asking the right questions and that we're not necessarily just going off of, you know, here's what we're responsible for, but why? Like, why is that performing in that way? Or why are we driving stronger success in this specific area and really starting to poke holes in not what the data's been, but what it should be? And then to look outside of the silo, right, of systems or technology and into what does this need to look like and how do we get there without, you know, like you said, speed is really important. But at the same time, we have to think about, you know, how do we grow and scale? And you just can't do that without great data and great insights. And what I don't want is a bunch of spreadsheets and a bunch of data that's kind of how we're doing it today. What I want is great insights and great visibility and somebody that's going to challenge me, challenge my team and challenge the business on what's actually driving revenue so that we're making smart decisions, not just in channels, but in hiring, in growth in, you know, all of those different things that we need to be looking at as business leaders.
0: I love that you broke it down that way. Cause I think there's, you need the tactics you need, you know, your marketing automation and systems and reporting all set up, right. But the true, you know, if you want to be the leader in that role, you're the partner to the CMO who's saying like, Hey, pipeline is down in this segment because these two sources haven't been converting. We need to do X, And you're like, okay, cool. I can go, I got to go push the product marketing team to go do that. That's a superstar in that role, I think.
1: Yeah. Or like, hey, I noticed over the last few months, we've been converting X more within this geography. If we were to push a little bit harder here, there is a huge opportunity for us to drive quality, right? And so starting to get and see those insights, that's just something that we would be magically Able to have and do great stuff yeah. in our jobs.
0: And I mean, that's how you create a great team also, because then you have, you know, real insights as to like why you're going to go do what you do. Cause then you're just like, Hey, the product marketing team is fired up because they have a clear measurable goal of something that they can go impact demand gen and revenue team. They, they know that this new channel that you're testing is working or not working and can make decisions. It, it really is the glue to everything. Okay. So that, that's RevOps. I had one, that was my follow-up question there on the product marketing Team, two things that you mentioned that were interesting that I would love to hear you explain more. You said that we have three different types of launches tier one, tier two, tier three. Can you just give some examples of of why and what's in those buckets and what that means?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I, I will say, what's in the buckets, you know, sometimes can be fluid because it really does depend on what you need when it comes to your go to market. But the way I would think about it is impact versus effort. And so if your product team, is doing, you know, a great job and continuing to ship product, we want to make sure people know about it. We want to make sure that we're consistently doing our job as product marketers, as leaders in bringing that product to market in the best way possible. But not every product launch is the same, right? Some product launches are because we're looking at change management. Some are because we need to um, bring an advancement to a product. And some of them are just those badass, awesome launches that are game changers and create huge opportunities for growth or adoption. And so with every product launch, we want to look at what is the opportunity and what is the impact that we would see out of this. And then that's where we dial in effort. So a tier one, tier two, and tier three is really tied to effort. If it is one of those badass product launches that is like, let's go and do the thing and do it right, then we want to think about everything from videos, to awareness, to social strategy, to obviously website content, and all those great campaigns that us marketers love to get out the door. Can't do that for every product launch. And so when you think about a tier two or a tier three, that's often dialing it back to blogs, help center articles, webinars, right? And and really what is the right thing that we need to get out there?
0: The tier three launch was invented to uh, satisfy the product team. <laughs> when they're like, Oh, we got something cool. We got to launch this marketing team. And you're like, yeah, new dashboards, what do you want us? They're like, can you get, are you going to get some press for this? And so it's like, you know, you know what, but this is just marketing. Oh no, we're going to give for this one. We're going to do a tier three launch. (laughs) <laughs> okay. What's a tier that. three launch? It's a, ah, it's, a blog, it. it's a blog post and an in-app message.
1: <laughs> and a newsletter. Don't forget the newsletter. A newsletter.
0: I'm only saying that on this podcast because it's all marketers who are hopefully giggling to that because they can relate. Okay. That's helpful. The other question that I had is, did you mention that product marketing owns like onboarding and nurture and, and those emails? Did I hear you say that?
1: Yeah. So this is honestly a TBD right now because a lot of it is based off of growth, talent, kind of how we essentially build and scale the team. But I can tell you in previous roles, again, like if there was something that I would have done differently, I led um, at my last job, our customer marketing and NDR efforts. And there was often friction between customer marketing and product marketing because we weren't on the same page and we weren't necessarily working on the same go-to-market strategy as a whole. And so doing that differently, I'd actually put them on the same team whether that is product marketing, whether that lives under revenue marketing, that's part of what's kind of to be determined when you think about the email component that comes into it and the actual execution. But that alignment, I think, is so critical because we want our teams to not just be thinking about new business. We want them to think about adoption. We want them to think about expansion and all of those different critical touch points in the customer journey. For me, I think it makes the most sense and where that's where you see product marketing and the growth and acquisition really partnering together because then you've got that clear delineation between my focus is new business versus my focus is adoption and expansion. And so how that then plays out into who executes the actual email. I think that again is where we start to find the fluidity and how those teams work together and the structure of it. But I, I would definitely have adoption and potentially whether it's doing the onboarding or at least being aligned to the onboarding as something product marketing should absolutely be looking at.
0: I like it for two reasons. Number one, if product marketing does really own adoption and you have this business model where it's like, get in the free trial, it aligns them closest to that. And so it's like, hey, you own adoption. The tools to improve adoption are whatever you want. You can send emails. You can fax people. I don't care what you do. You own adoption. So I love it for that. I also love it because you're just thinking for yourself. Like, So many people in marketing are like, well, this, I heard on this podcast that this team owns this. And it's like, you can't, every team in org is going to be different based on the existing team, the budget, the challenges. There's so many like different factors. And so I just think it's a good example for people listening of like, think for yourself, think about what your team needs. And if there's something that your business needs and it's a better fit on one team, then make the change. And if it's wrong, you can change it. It's not irreversible. So I think it's just cool to see you do that.
1: Yeah, thanks. And I'd say too, and this is where it's so critical, like we have to think about adoption as marketers. We have to think about activation and then that opportunity for stickiness and expansion. We can't just think about new business because if you're focused on your LTV to CAC and trying to drive up marketing efficiency, without strong lifetime value and without strong adoption, all of our efforts are like non-existent, right? So I think that making sure, whether it's your product marketing team or even your new business team, just being aligned to what that adoption looks like, especially when you have a trial funnel, the day that a user signs up with your product is the day that they start to adopt that product. And that's something that we're all responsible for. And so I tend to be allergic to silo marketing and uh, silos within businesses because this isn't just... Marketing, it's also how we work with product, how we work with customer success, and how we all partner together to make sure that we again are ruthless in customer journey, all the stages that they go through, and then how we then work together to just truly create that best experience that drives customers for life.
0: Yeah especially in this model, that's the one thing you can drive. You got to actually get people using your product. Okay, so I want to go, let's go down this list. So we talked about people. Next thing you mentioned, you're focusing on process. What does that mean and what are you doing?
1: Yeah, sure. So I think um, a lot here. I will say I'm a bit of a process junkie. I love a good process and I love a good just execution across the board. I love speed, like you mentioned too. I think that that's something that is so important when you've got a move with agility but doing it with focus naturally and so with the team right now one feel very lucky that i am a bit of a process junkie working for a project management tool so certainly leveraging our own tool and starting to build through the way that we're prioritizing work and focus Uh, first and foremost that's starting with what is marketing's roadmap this year and really starting to structure around what are the top things we should be doing versus. All the things that we're doing today. And so that starts with doing just a general start, stop, continue with everyone and looking at are there things that we're doing, which everywhere there are things that you're doing that you just don't have to do and need to do, and starting to really pull those to the forefront so that we can drive a little bit more focus to do the most important things brilliantly. And so we're kind of deep in that process right now and rebuilding our roadmap for the year and then breaking it out into digestible chunks. And so while we'll have an annual plan or a vision, we'll kind of start it within set quarters and then revisit it right every quarter, because you have to have agility in what you prioritize. And then as a business, we leverage the EOS model, which is essentially how we build productivity into the team and all of that. So kind of one, adopting it. And then two, working with the team to reshift and refocus.
0: What are some of your like rhythms as a CMO? You like to meet with the team once a month. You do direct reports. Can you share some of your, your kind of like recurring meetings?
1: I love a good recurring meeting. Not too many recurring meetings, especially right now where everyone is just trying to get through Zoom fatigue and all True. the things, right? Uh, and so it needs to have focus. We actually, I mentioned EOS A little bit ago, we do adopt the EOS business operating model, which has a recurring meeting process. And so we have these weekly, they're called level 10 meetings, and it's meant to be, you know, you score it at the end of the meeting, literally on a score of zero to 10 to see how efficient it was openly. But the goal in the meeting is that we first kick it off, do a quick segue, everyone checks in with how everyone's doing And then immediately look at departmental scorecards. And so we have these for, you know, right now, the team that exists as we build out these other pillars, we'll all have our own level 10 meetings where you work with your functional team on what are your KPIs? How are you performing? This is week over week. Every week, we're looking at the key KPIs within each discipline to make sure that there's no flags, no impediments, and no no concerning things that we need to dig into. We then talk about our top priorities and so focus on your roadmap items or your top priorities first, where are we at with them? Again, are there any impediments or any concerns to worry about? And then we spend the majority of the time on what we call issues, which are things that have come up over the last week that need to be addressed at the team level. And so I try to get the team in the structure of, you know, is it urgent, right? And so the amount of disruptions that can come in on a day-to-day basis, most of them aren't urgent disruptions. And so often we will add that then to the issues list And we literally vote for which issues we want to talk about first so that we can keep to the time allowance of typically about an hour.
0: So instead of like dropping a bomb in Slack in the middle of the week and saying like, hey, should we test this? Should we change as people submit those somewhere?
1: Yeah. And don't get me wrong, those things still happen, but that's where you get into the mindset of saying, hey, is this urgent? Or why don't you add this to the L10 and let's talk about this next week? And that way you get in the habit of starting to put it into that weekly session that we have dedicated to really coming together as a team.
0: Yeah, I like that a lot because I think it takes the like the mental load of like, oh my God, I keep, I'm trying to do the thing that I came in the week to do, but I keep getting asked to do all these other things. It helps you kind of put that on ice for a little bit focus on what you're doing and then you know be able to shift direction. did you come up with this meeting like where did this thing come from?
1: No so it actually came from the eOS model uh, so there's a few books you can read that are, are pretty well known traction is one or what the heck is EOS. but we did actually build a tool that we use internally for our meeting structure called instant agency tools and it literally has the agenda that the entire company uses. So it isn't just something we do in marketing we do it with, every single department. Um, And then with the leadership level too, so that we're all following the same typical structure and it gets everyone in that same kind of weekly mindset.
0: Yeah, that's great. This is super useful. You mentioned uh, scorecards for each team. Can you talk about like how, what's on those? How do you do goal setting and how that kind of rolls down from the team goals?
1: Absolutely. And I would say it is different, of course, when it's based on the team. So at the CMO level, and I will say right now I'm building my leadership team. So we don't have the leadership L10 that we will eventually. The scorecard on there will be very different to the functional scorecard you'll have on the creative team for example. And so at the CMO slash leadership marketing team level, we're really looking at our key KPIs, how many trials. We look at MQLs right now. We'll be looking eventually at PQLs and revenue as we start to lead into those top critical KPIs that we are focused on. As we then get down to the functional team, I'll use creative as a really great example. Our creative team is encompassed by video design and website development. They'll often look at things like website bounce rate or conversion rate or they'll look at urgent design requests that came in over the last week. Because as a design team, you know, you're often getting requests, not just from marketing, you're getting it from the entire company. And so we'll capture those so that when we have these meetings, if it hits over a two- for example, that's where we know that there's an issue that needs to be addressed with certain other areas in the organization.
0: Design is always the team that I'm most concerned of. It's going to burn out <laughs> like because yeah. it's just like all, you know, like not even just marketing, but all, all other teams. Speaking of like setting goals, one thing a lot of people ask about is how do you set goals for like creative?
1: Good question. It depends on the creative role. A Designer, it's really hard. I don't know if anybody knows how to set a really good goal for a design team. Do member. you even
0: care? Like, honest no. question, do you even care?
1: No, I think the thing that I care about is quality with design, right? right? right. And
0: so, and the 100%, like, the business part should come from, like, well, why are we doing that? I expect that, like, you know, if the revenue team reco- like is working on a new landing page and the person who's going to create that is the designer they don't own the conversion on like i yeah. don't know i think it's just silly so you got to let creative people create and like the other teams just give them the guardrails like i, I don't care i just I, you just know if it's good stuff or not and that's totally. how i'm going to measure the team
1: I guess the thing if there was one thing i would look at it would maybe be how they're scoping their time so i'm a big fan of agile right and so if you have a designer coming in and saying that's going to take me if you story points this many story points or this many hours and then suddenly yeah. it's like 13 more then that's probably a problem, but that's more efficiency. That's not necessarily, yeah. like you yeah, said, yeah, conversion. True.
0: Cause there is some baseline of like productivity that you need. You know, there's some output. Like, how do you measure right. the output? But I think that can also be a feeling too, because it's like, does your marketing team feel like you're always waiting on your designers to get stuff done? You can feel it. It's like where most friction starts on the marketing team, actually.
1: Yeah. And that's where I think having when you asked about process, this is it, right? This is where I'm leaning in right now, is what is our creative process for prioritization across the entire company? And then building the structure around, you know, what does a sprint need to look like? Is it a one week? Is it a two week sprint? How do we allocate time and then push back on the things less important so that we're over delivering on the things that we need to and not necessarily delivering on the things that we don't need to? Those become really important with your team because that helps that friction with design saying, oh, I put this project in this long ago and I'm still not seeing anything. If you have a good yeah. process in place, It's really communication at that stage. Yep.
0: Yep. Okay. Tara, this is amazing, but I'm going to change gears because I want to make sure we get a separate video for you at the end. So for everybody listening on the podcast, Tara just dropped 30 plus minutes of CMO knowledge on you. So I hope you got notes. What we're going to go do now is we're going to hop over into DGMGU and we're going to record a separate video because I want to talk to Tara more personally about her path to becoming a CMO. So that video will be in there. You can go and check it out. Okay. So now we're going to do a separate segment. So All right. talk more directly to like, who's watching this video is a bunch of like hungry, great. marketing people who want to be you, who want to mm-hmm. be in a CMO seat. What changed in your career to go from like contributor to marketing leader, regardless of title, but like, how did you build this career path?
1: It's a great question. Uh, and it's been different every stage. So in the early stage, it was that tenacity and the hunger to just ask and say, Hey, I'd like to lead this project. Can I? Um, I was lucky in early in my career, I worked at an agency that we were a really small person shop. I was going for my master's in marketing, kind of figuring out this whole inbound marketing thing, you know, at those early days and said, Hey, we do this for some of our clients. Let's do this for ourselves. Let me start a department and did. And I threw myself into the deep end and I learned trial by fire in every possible way. Um, Dave, you talk about this all the time, learning, 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 right? I read all the books. I did everything that I could to continue to challenge myself, to not go at what I was taught in school, but you know, what are things that we can try out? And I failed and I fell down, but I got back up and I kept doing that throughout my whole career. I think as I got further along and that that department turned into you know, a much bigger team and much bigger responsibilities. What changed for me next was my network. And so as I started to enter into SaaS, took on my first, you know, big marketing leadership job, I started to reach out and just ask for help and saw people in the industry that I admired. And um, one of them is a good friend of both of ours, Kyle Lacey, and, you know, asked Mm -hmm. him like, hey, Kyle, can I pick your brain from time to time? And, you know, that started, a great friendship and a great connection. And that's been something that I will never take advantage of with anyone in my network. But even today, constantly reaching out and networking and asking, I think I did the same thing with you when you first moved to Vermont. So like, that would be the big thing is I would We will hang out
0: this summer for a walk.
1: When this damn disease is over. Um, But yeah, I think networking, Uh, learning, tenacity.
0: So I think what's so important is like, To be able to pair those two things together that you mentioned, like the tenacity, like the, it's the proactive, like, I'm doing my job, but I see this other thing that we could be doing that no one's doing. Unfortunately, I think a lot of people just tend to either just complain about that thing. Either they don't, they do nothing or complain about it. But I think the best people are like hey, would it be okay if I go and test this referral program? Nobody's doing it. We don't really have a referral marketing thing going, but I'm going to set it up. That's like part one. But like the super version of that is like, hey, hey, here's an opportunity. Here's what it's going to take. Like, here's how much it's going to cost. I'm going to do it. Here's the dates. Here's the deadline. Here's the expected goal. Like, When you can start delivering that proactively to your boss or whoever, it's like, oh, okay. Okay, Tara's like she's hungry, like she, she's figured this out. But when you can also pair that with the learning, and so like mm-hmm. you're at a company where you get to do those things and test, but you're also like learning from the side. And I also think your your point about peer group is so important because we're all doing the same thing. It's like- Right. It's the reason that DGMG has taken off only because it's just like a bunch of B2B marketers talking about, it. it's like, you don't get to have that conversation with somebody inside of your company. But I loved, you know, going to like an event like Saster or whatever and you get invited to some lunch and there's 10 other CMOs there only because you're sitting down and you're like, ha, ah, it's like therapy almost. You're like, we're all doing the same thing, going through the different things. And so I think whether you're a marketing manager, director marketing, VP or CMO, to be able to go and build your peer group like like that is super valuable.
1: Yeah. And I'm going to add one thing to that too. It's getting over the fear, right? Because if you take all of those different components and you couple them into what holds us back and what are the things that stop us from actually asking for that project or asking for that opportunity is the fear of, you know, what if they say no, but the thing that you should really be asking is what if they say yes, and what could I do with this? And so I think that's the part that It's never been a comfortable thing for me to be in that position to say like, ooh, I'm so hungry and want to start learning this. I've got this tenacity or I'm going to reach out to this person that I really admire in the space. I feel super confident doing it. Like they're all scary. And so it's just facing that fear head on and saying, I want this for myself. And in order to get there, I know that I need help. And so just ask for it. What's the worst thing that happens? They say no or they don't respond. Still not a horrible thing.
0: If you're intimidated by somebody and you're you're going to, you know, if you're like, this doesn't mean like go reach out to the CMO of Salesforce and say like, right. hey, can I pick your brain? Like find somebody who you can actually, like who would actually say yes and like who's doing a similar thing to you and and, and start there. And then through that person, oh yeah, you got to meet, hey Tara, you know, Dave like, you know, Kyle, okay, you should meet Dave. Mm-hmm. Like that stuff happens. How do you have to think about marketing if you want to be a successful marketing leader? Like what's the shift that has to change from like, I'm the content person to I'm running marketing, or I'm the solo demand gen person to I'm now running marketing. What has to change from a mindset perspective?
1: Oh, I love that you've put it as mindset because I think mindset is so much of it. Everyone talks about functional expertise. What are the things that you have to do to be great at your job? Data, obviously, duh, no questions asked. Mindset is everything. Having a growth mindset and really, really starting to look at the entire marketing funnel. If you want to grow into marketing leadership, you have to learn and you have to try the things out that you don't know. But then you also have to recognize that things don't happen to you. They happen for you, right? And so your mindset when it comes to working within marketing is how do you push beyond what you're responsible for and partner with the things that maybe you are less comfortable with or less responsible for to learn how they work and how they execute. And when you get frustrated, because every marketer gets frustrated with the day-to-day and the things that are happening to think, why am I frustrated? Is this something that is in my control? Is this something that I actually really care about? Is this a big problem or a little problem? And then taking that mindset and flipping it into the opportunity. And so I think that's the big thing is where I've seen people grow in their career is when they take frustrations and turn them into opportunity and they have that can-do attitude, not I'll-do-everything attitude, but like, yeah, I'm going to do the things that make sense and are important and I'm not going to let this thing that's in the way be the thing that cripples me.
0: One thing that's changed for me is um, people don't want to hear this, but it kind of is all about revenue at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. And if you just, I'm sorry if that's not what you want to hear, but it's most CEOs Care about one thing at the end of the day, like there's no puppies and bunnies and all that stuff here. Like it's really true, they care about revenue. (laughs) If they're growing revenue, the company valuation is growing, and especially a lot of people, most people watching this are like adventure back SaaS companies, it's revenue and then everything else. And so, totally, you can't just take the marketing job and think you're going to do it your own way. You have to think, like, I'm doing marketing at this company for this company in service of revenue. So, how can I get inside the head of the CEO? Oh, the CEO cares about revenue. Okay, so therefore, I'm not going to stand up in front of the company and talk about how we gained 76 followers this week and wrote three blog posts. Like, even though those things might be meaningful to build a brand, I'm going to become this revenue-focused leader. And I think a lot of people aren't willing to do that because they hold on to this idea that like marketing. Marketing is about you know feelings and emotions and I believe trust me, I love creative and brand more than more than the average marketing person. But I think to keep your job and to progress as a VP of marketing and CMO, you have to take that revenue first lens.
1: I couldn't agree more with that and I think that that's been a big shift for me too, right because I think early on you've get those vanity metrics that you look at and say, this is my silo and this is the thing that I'm responsible for. and if you aren't carrying it all through the funnel, you're you're doing yourself, but also your team and your growth at the disservice. So capturing revenue as you mentioned that's what CEOs care about. That's what makes you stand out as a great CMO or a VP of marketing. That's what investors care about and so when you're looking to essentially grow within this discipline, being the person that's talking about revenue marketing is, you know, I wish more people talked about it. And I and I would say that that even goes so far as to how does brand connect to revenue? versus just connect to impressions, and how does that carry through into organic, into the funnel, into the overarching impact to revenue as a whole, and really understanding one, how I influence that part of the puzzle, but two, how are we performing and challenging everything to come back to the bottom line? Don't just hire the next employee, hire it based off of what's driving the best success.
0: Okay. This would be my last question. Then we'll let you off the hook so you can have a sip of your seltzer and then go to your next next interview. One of my favorite topics with CMOs is like the path to CMO, because I think there's, you know, most people you can come up through, you know, one of three or four disciplines, just quickly like your story and then how you've built a team around where you're strong or weak.
1: Yeah. Great question. Um, So I said this in the first part, my path to CMO has been very much aligned to my network and the, m- the amount that I've invested in it. I will be careful in saying, no, that is not why. And so building a network is about learning. It's about connecting and it's about giving back. And that's something that as much as I ask, I also give back. And I'm never you know, afraid or step away from having those conversations with people looking to learn but as a result because i've invested so much in my network my last 3 jobs have come by somebody reaching out and saying hey tara like we're looking to hire a cmo are you right. interested in this opportunity and so i think that that's been just a happy component that comes to just continuing wanting to learn and having great conversations but i think that's been the part that's been you know incredible in a lot of ways So I'm a growth marketer through and through before growth marketing was a thing. I am obsessed with voice of customer and spending time with truly understanding qualitative, quantitative, matching them together, and then driving conversion across every stage of the funnel. So where I'm not strong to your point before is I'm not a brand marketer. I don't really even truly understand, but I know the importance that it brings in. Um, I'm also not an analyst. I love data and I love strategy and insights and being able to to, you know, see the full picture and then poke holes in it. But like, those are the areas that I've had to invest in having a very strong analyst, having someone that's very strong in brand and even, you know, product marketing. I'm a big believer of hire people smarter than you because you learn from them. And also you can't be great at everything. And so being at the CMO level doesn't mean that I know how to do everything. I can understand it and I can speak to it, but I think that's where you have to find really strong functional leaders to help support those different areas. And even as a growth marketer, there's also areas that I'm learning. And so I've always believed in kind of hiring team members that you can learn from together, less hierarchy and more team effort across the board. Um, But yeah, I would say growth through and through.
0: Love it. Okay. Tara, you're awesome. Thank you for doing this. I appreciate you. You got to go back to being a, a CMO. We'll, we'll plug you. We'll plug the company, all that stuff. I appreciate you. And, and hopefully we'll get a chance to hang out later this summer.
1: Yeah, that sounds good. Well, thanks so much. And uh, looking forward to any questions that anyone has, feel free to send them my way.
0: Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of the B2B Marketing Leaders Podcast. If you got something out of this episode, then I know you'll get even more out of DGMG. That's my members-only community for B2B marketers. There's over 2,300 members in there right now. And it's awesome because it's really like having a sounding board outside of your company as a marketer. Inside of the group, you can get feedback, recommendations on tools, on vendors. You can get campaign ideas. I've seen people post, hey, what do you think of this ad? Do you think this copy would work? Is anybody using this new tool? What do you think of this vendor? Uh, And it's the reason that I'm in the group basically every day sharing my own stuff too because it's just a community I want to be a part of. And because you're here listening to B2B Marketing Leaders, I got a special deal for you. You can get in the group for just $1 for your first month. After that, it's $10 a month, and let's be honest, it's super easy to expense at your company. It'll fly under the radar. Uh, there's 10 to 12 new posts every single day, and you can go back and see all the posts since the beginning of time. I know that if you're in B2B marketing, you'll see the ROI from the community instantly, and that's why I want you to join for a dollar. I want to make it a no-brainer, so go and check it out. There's a link in the, in the show notes of this episode, a special link, just for you to go and join for $1. $1.